there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us back on the podcast, Paul David Tripp. If many of you that listen to the podcast regularly know, he's not able to join us live for the podcast, um, but they have been so gracious. Um, ben Fallon and Crossway have given us access to um, something that they recorded for Crossway when they was getting ready to launch his book, Reactivity. And so I'll just kind of um, get you uh, queued up for what he's going to talk about, and then we'll, you know, we'll we'll jump into what he's going to say. Um, and there's there's several of these. We're going to talk about the the toxicity in our culture um, and why why that toxic culture recalls, causes us to be reactive. Our problem with anger, our problem with uh, selfish self righteousness, um, our problem with individualism, um, our problem with uh, craving this uh, controversy, and those people, our problem with tribalism, and it all goes to this point of our our culture and this idea of reactivity. But what he he says and what he shares is is the gospel. Um, transforms our actions. The gospel transforms our reactions. And he calls us to a higher, higher standard. And just very valuable, very insightful, and just really appreciate them. Once again, Crossway um, and Ben Fowling getting us access to this. And um, just a, an honor to be able to, to air it on the podcast. And uh, I, it's, it spoke to me. It's challenged me. And um, I think it will do the same for you. Do want to ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and we get to learn from him. That's always a, a fun, phenomenal time. And uh, my emails in the show notes continue to send your questions to me, and I'll curate those questions and then get them to Dick, and then we just have those uh, phenomenal times just sitting down with him. I know the podcasts I listen to um, are the ones that I subscribe to, and I ask you to subscribe to this one if you haven't already. That way you get the new episodes each and every Sunday. We're going to go ahead and jump into the first subject that um, Paul David Tripp will talk about, which is toxic. Why is our culture so reactive. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Not too long ago, I, as everybody in our culture, was hearing this discussion in the church and outside the church about the nature of justice. And I thought it'd be helpful because I only ever post scripture, I only ever post the gospel to just post a bunch of passages from Scripture on justice. Uh, I was unprepared for the reaction that I got. It was angry, uh, dismissive. I was called names I've never been called before. Now, it immediately reminded me that this was an instant reaction What people did is they reacted to the title of the post without reading the post. These are people who say they love God. These are people who follow me because they love Scripture. They reacted to the topic with anger. There's your culture of toxic reactivity. It's an instantaneous response uh, without patience, without self-control, without reflection. I think my, my little story just presents the fact that my little story is not a little story. It's one moment in a culture that's doing this literally thousands and thousands of times every day. We react in 
anger or mockery or disrespect or jumping into a controversy without reflection, without understanding, without patience, in ways that are not kind. Part of what we're, we're dealing with, it's the, it's the rise of 24-hour uh, entertainment. It's the rise of social media that we live in this chamber of constant noise, thousands of voices all the time. And it's tempting to think if, you don't, if you're not in contact with the culture, you're going to be left, behi- left behind. And if you don't jump in and get involved, you won't be part of what's important. Uh, and so in response to the noise, we become part of the noise. It would be bad enough if this toxic reactivity was just on social media, but it bleeds into our everyday relationships. And here's how. If, if my heart becomes comfortable with responding this way, this immediate emotional response, and that become, my heart becomes comfortable with that, well, it's pretty easy to predict that will bleed over into my other relationships because I don't have two hearts. I only have one heart. And what rules my heart here will then tend to rule my heart over here. So we carry that reactivity into marriages. We carry that reactivity into parenting. We carry that reactivity into our cultural, political life. We carry that reactivity into our churches. And so what was once a dynamic in social media now has become the dynamic of a wider culture. One of the beauties of the gospel is it holds before us visions of things that we should quest for. And the vision of the gospel of the church and its community is one of respect, one of kindness, one of patience. It seems repetitive to say this, but it's a culture of people who need grace, and because they know they need grace, are willing to give grace to other people that need grace. That whole culture of love and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and forbearance with its commitment to unity is radically different than the culture of toxic reactivity. Now, why does the gospel hold that in front of us? Because it wants us to know Jesus died so you could experience this better life. This is a better way. And Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, has made this better way possible for you. So I'm going to explore aspects, attitudes, tendencies of this culture of toxic reactivity. But that's not all we're going to do. We're also going to talk about how God, in his mercy, meets us with his grace and how, in specific ways, he empowers us to live in a much better way. Well, I want to leave you with this question. How much of your behavior, your actions and reactions and responses, both on social media 
and your personal relationship have been shaped by this culture of toxic reactivity. Don't answer too quick. Give yourself time to reflect. There are maybe 50 people that I follow closely on social media who are voices, godly voices of wisdom. I'm very thankful for their voices, and I find help, insight, encouragement, conviction from what they post. And recently, one of those people that I have a deep respect for posted something. The first response on the comments was, dude, just shut up. Shut up. Now consider with me, that's not a well-thought-through, carefully crafted invitation to a further conversation. That's just an emotional response. It's a drive-by response. I don't like what you said. I take a shot and I move on. What that illustrates is the emotionally driven nature of this culture of toxic reactivity. Now, I have to say this. The Bible is an emotion negative. The Bible depicts a rich life of emotions. Emotions are a gift from God. But you have to be very careful that your life isn't shaped by the spontaneity of the emotions of the moment. That's a very dangerous way to live. And that really is the culture of toxic reactivity. It's whatever the emotions of the moment are, they drive me to my response without stepping back, without careful reflection, I'm reacting. So I, I think the two primary emotions that drive this culture is a culture of fear and a culture of anger. It could be the fear that my world is out of control and I got to do something. I got to I got to respond. I I got to react. Or it could be the fear that I'm not being taken seriously and I got to jump in. I got to defend myself or my tribe is not taken seriously. All of that is is God forgetful because if anything the Bible presents my world is under control and it may not be under my control and I may not like or understand everything that's going on, but there's someone who cares about me, who cares about us, who cares about his world more deeply and more fully than I ever will. And it's when you are resting in his presence and his power that you can relax, be reflective, and enter into conversations in a more helpful way. Well, there's not a big distance between fear and anger. Because all often in my fear, I view you as the enemy, you as the cause of what I'm afraid of. Uh, and so I respond to you in that war-making sort of way. We're not on the same side. We're not wanting the same things. You are the enemy of what I think, or I may think of who I am. And so I respond to you in anger. You know, one of the reasons that social media excites this toxicity of fear and toxicity of anger is because it's impersonal. 
I'm not standing next to you. I'm not seeing your face. I'm not hearing the tone of your voice. It's, it's not a relationship in that way. I can remember once as a young pastor having a conversation with somebody and that older man could see that I was upset and he just leaned forward in his chair and he said, Paul, look at me. I love you. You don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't get that on social media because you're not there. It's not personal. The problem is, though, that I get used to the impersonal nature of human interactions and I carry the culture of that into relationships that are personal, where you are standing there, where you could do this in a better way. Fear produced anger that sees you as the enemy is seldom respectful. It tends to be disrespectful. I'm trying to knock you aside. I'm trying to knock you down. I'm not after just the thought. I'm after you. And that is so different than why the way the Bible tells me to treat every human being. Listen, if God is creator, and he is, and human beings are made in his image, and they are, then every person has dignity. Every person should be treated with honor and with respect. Even though we disagree, even though we radically disagree, I can do that in a way that doesn't denigrate you as a person made in the image of God. One of the places where you see this disrespect just live on social media is just this culture of mockery. You know, when someone says, dude, just shut up, that's a mock. You're nothing. I don't have to pay attention to you. Who do you think you are? That's mockery. And it's deeply personal. It's, it's meant to hurt. It's not meant to help. It's not, it's not, again, a welcome into a conversation. It's a slap. I love talking about how God helps us to live differently in this culture of toxic reactivity. At the end of Ephesians, there's this list of character qualities called the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, those aren't presented as moral goals for you and me to achieve to, because I have no ability to turn myself into this kind of person. They're called fruit of the Spirit for a reason. Jesus died so that these would be my potential. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control is my potential as a child of God. Now, how in the world am I ever going to reach that potential? Because I'm not there yet. Well, there's a second thing that our Lord did. He gifted us with his Holy Spirit, who literally unzips us and gets inside of us. So we now have the power to live up to the potential that he's given us in Christ. That is just so encouraging, so helpful. It's what gets me up in the morning. I know my potential, and I know the power I've been given to live in that potential. So here's what this means. In moments where your emotions are raging, whether that's fear or anger, you're ready to respond disrespectfully or in mockery, you have the power to say no and to turn and go in another direction because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
in the presence of the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of you. Well, I have a question for you. And it's, again, one of these self-examination questions. It's going to take some reflection to, are you living out of your new potential as a child of God? Do you hold those character qualities of fruit of the Spirit as your goal? And are you uh, seeking the help of the power of the Holy Spirit to live that way, both on social media and in your everyday relationships? Or are you giving way to the draw of the culture of toxic reactivity? One of the the, uh, cultural things that you see on social media, and then I think it bleeds into our everyday relationships in this culture of toxicity, is this self-centeredness. It's it's me at the the center. And what that creates is this this inability to be disagreed with uh, and this thought that my opinions are always right. I see this all the time when when someone is rightfully trying to engage a person in reflection about something they've posted or said, the immediate response is anger. Now, that means that person is incapable of self-reflection. They're incapable of saying, maybe I didn't get it right uh, because they're in the center of their world they're what's important. Their opinion is what's important. Their opinion is always right. That's a self-righteousness aspect of that. And that, you just can't have conversations that way. If there's any cure for this selfishness, this me in the center of my world, it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5.15 actually says that Jesus came, listen to these words, that those who live would no longer live for themselves. So God is after this in me to rescue me from me. And, and the cure is this grace of humility, that I would not think of myself more highly than I ought to think. Uh, just, just think one thing. Think of the fact that I still have sin inside of me, and sin blinds. And guess what blinds first? Me. I have no trouble seeing the sin of others. And so I'm not even able to say no one knows me better than I know myself because there will be inaccuracies my view of myself because of the deceitfulness of sin. I also can't say that every opinion I have is going to be right and everything I post is going to be the best and the greatest, because everything in my life is somehow tainted by this indwelling thing that's still inside of me. So I, I need correction. I need confrontation. I need rebuke. And it's only when God, by his grace, is enabling you to admit who you are and what you need, that you can receive these things with thankfulness. The, the problem with social media is the angrier you are, the more confident you are, the more reactive you are, 
the more likes you get, the more hits you get, the more attention you get. Uh, it's the exact opposite of what should happen. Uh, I should not be rewarded for being self-centered. I should not be rewarded for being angry. I should not re- be rewarded to act like I know everything and I mock your attempt to correct me. That's behavior that needs to be lovingly confronted and by grace corrected, but it tends to get rewarded on social media. Here's what self-righteousness does. It, it is always more concerned about the sin, weakness, and failure of other people than it is your own. And so because the, the coupling of selfishness, self-centeredness, with self-righteousness creates this particular danger, it is that I think I'm a law keeper. I think that I'm morally right. And because I think that I'm always morally right, and you haven't risen to that moral standard, it's, it seems okay to judge you for that. Rather than saying, I deeply need God's grace, and because I understand I deeply need God's grace, you and I are alike. You need God's grace too. And so I want to give the same grace to you that God has given to, to me. That's only ever the result of humility. Self-righteousness won't take you there. So the gospel meets us in this struggle with self-centeredness and self-righteousness that we're, we're talking about. First of all, it reminds us that everything that we do is either motivated by self-glory or the glory of God. That the, the person who's on center stage in all of the biblical narrative is God. Everything is from him. Everything is through him. Everything is to him. God is alerting us to the danger of living for, for self-glory. And then the Bible also, when it comes to self-righteousness, reminds us that we have no independent righteousness of our own. The righteousness that Paul Tripp has is a righteousness that was earned by my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, now credited to my account. I am not independently righteous, and I'm never in the center. And I need to be reminded of that. And those themes just travel throughout the gospel, the danger of self-glory and the danger of self-righteousness, the destructive nature of self-glory, the destructive nature of self-righteousness, and the beauty of a Christ who meets us in our selfishness, who meets us in our self-righteousness, not with condemnation, but with forgiveness and empowering help. Humility means when I'm in a controversy with you, I'm not there to, ad- to advance me, to advance my perfect opinion and therefore my power and my authority. I'm there to have a conversation with you that hopefully would be helpful for you, but the back and forth would be helpful for me as, as well. We're called in Ephesians when it, when it talks about our conversation with one another to never speak in a way that doesn't do, give grace, that isn't helpful to the hearer. Humility removes me from the center and says, we need one another. 
And this conversation is intended by God to be a tool of his work of transformation in our lives. So I want to ask you to reflect on your relationships. Do you put yourself in the center? Do you make things all about you? I want you to reflect on this issue of self-righteousness. Are there places in your life where you're way more concerned about the sin, weakness, and failure of others than you, you are your own? want to give you an example in my own experience of this, the individualism of this culture. I had posted something. It was a lengthier post than I normally would post. And the first comment was, stop it, just retire. Now, that comment is the product of just Bold, raw individualism. It's, I don't need you, and you don't need me, and I'm going to take a shot at you and walk away. You would never respond to someone that way if you're thinking, I need this person in my life. I need community in my life. I need people in my life. I'm not meant to live alone. So it's very easy to say that self-reliance, individualism, is the enemy of community. The Bible is very clear. Relationships are not a luxury. They're essential. Uh, From the earliest moments of the creation of humanity, it's not good for man to dwell alone, to all the things that the New Testament says about the nature of the body of Christ uh, and our need for one another, Gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is deeply and pervasively and expansively relational. If you're telling yourself the lie that you don't need relationships, you're immediately in spiritual danger and you're living outside of the boundaries of the culture that scripture depicts for us. If I've bought into individualism in my culture and I'm entering the worship service, I am not prepared for what I'm going to receive there. First of all, I don't think I need the fellowship of other people. So those people that greet me, I don't, I don't really need to have a relationship with them. I'm not ready to receive corporate worship because I, I do just as well worshiping God on my own. I'm not ready to receive preaching because I do pretty well studying scripture on my own. You cannot have individualism and a vibrant thankfulness for and participation in your local Christian community, your church. They just don't go together. Well, if there's any message that the gospel gives us, it's that individualism leads to personal destruction and death. I cannot live the life that I was designed by the creator to live by myself. First of all, I need divine rescue. I need God in my life. I can't, I don't have the power, the wisdom, the strength, the righteousness to do what I was designed to do on my own. 
Right there, individualism goes out the window. But the Bible says I also need God's people in my life because they have been put as tools of God's grace in my life. Here's the plan that's laid out in Scripture. God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. That's community. That's mutuality. That's neediness. The move of grace is not from dependency to independence. The move of the work of God's grace is from independence to a greater willingness to own my dependence on God and others. Well, I want to ask you a question. And again, all of these questions really take reflection. In your everyday conversation with yourself, I say this all the time, no one's more important than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. In your self-talk, do you preach to yourself a gospel of individualism and self-sufficiency? Or do you preach to yourself a gospel of humble neediness and dependency? One of the dynamics that you, you see in social media is what I call the pylon dynamic. There is something controversial happening. Uh, a person has done something controversial, said something controversial, and it's just like bees gathering around honey. It's just all of a sudden there's all these people that are just excited to jump in and be part of this, this controversy. Uh, that literally happens every day on social media. Uh, often the things that trend are things that are controversial. So in order to, to understand the impact of this culture of controversy that's in social media on our other relationships, we, we, we have to understand what it's about. There's a huge, significant difference between the love of truth and the love of controversy. Uh, There's a difference finding joy in what is right and wanting to be part of advancing what is true and the fact that I just love, I love the controversy, I love the battle, I love the war, I love getting in there and getting dirty. That's a very different thing. Now, if there's such a thing as truth, and there is, and God is the author of truth, and he is, and the word is true, and it is, then I should want to live in truth myself, and I should want that for you. I should be concerned when I think that you're wandering from the truth. Now, here I'm about to say, that concern is motivated by love for truth and love for people. It's literally two great great commands. Because I love God, I love his truth. Because I love people, I want you to live in the truth. Love for controversy is, is not motivated by the two, command, two great commands. In the love for controversy, God is out of the picture. He's left the building. And I'm surely not loving you. I love being part of this controversial moment and having my say in this controversy. It's a hunt. And my ability to respond on social media is my gun. And I'm, I'm, I'm hunting for prey. And it's... It's not people as someone I love 
I respect, I honor, and I want to help. It's, it's you offer me a chance to fire my verbal weapon. And boy, you see that all over the place. One person fires and then 12 people fire and then 50 people fire. And all of a sudden, it's just like warfare. That isn't community. That isn't communication. That isn't love for God. That isn't love for people. It's something entirely different. Now, one of the places I've seen this live in the local church is through my relationship with these young pastors that I mentor, is that people are listening to sermons looking for controversy. That means they could be listening politically or listening with uh, looking for theological controversy. Instead of listening, thinking, I need these truths in my life. I need to be confronted, encouraged, and motivated by the Word of God. And so I listen with an open heart. I'm listening for that thing, that, that controversy. And this, this is why these pastors will then get a response about some kind of point in their sermon. And the person responding has missed the entire theme of the sermon, the entire helpfulness of the sermon. All they want to jump on is this controversial thing that they've identified. That's being in church as a hunter, looking for that prey and firing shots, sometimes even in the middle of a sermon. Here's the the delineation that needs to be made in this this uh, conversation we're having about controversy. Because there's such a thing as truth, there's such a thing as falsehood. I should hate what God says is false. I should hate the lies of a culture that has walked away from God and walked away from his word. But I shouldn't find joy that I found that happening. It should break my heart. It should make me sad. It should make me weep and mourn. And when you respond out of a broken heart, you're loving, you're patient, you're kind. You want to be an instrument of rescue and redirection and truth rather than, wow, I found this moment. Love for truth will never take you there because if you love truth, you don't love the controversies that falsehood will put in front of you. There is no help, more helpful way of understanding how, should, how we should respond than in the life of Jesus to controversy. It says when he was threatened, when he was reviled, he did not threaten or revile in return, but committed himself to his heavenly Father who judges all things justly. We would do well to follow the example. But there's another thing. When Jesus was getting ready to leave earth after his work here, he prayed And he prayed that his followers would be one as he is one with the Father. He prayed for unity. You see, my response in these controversial topics should not be to back away from truth, but should be to promote unity at the same time. You can defend truth and care about unity. Because Jesus did both of those at the same time. So when you find yourself drawn to controversy and you want to respond, you need to ask these questions. Will my response be shaped by love for God? Will it be shaped by love for his truth? Will it be shaped by love for people and a desire 
in relationship to them to speak in ways that are helpful? Or will it be shaped by a love for controversy? I think those questions can be really helpful. Well, I would leave you with this question. Are there places in your life, whether on social media or in personal relationships, where you tend to confuse love for controversy with love for truth? So one of the ruling cultural dynamics in social media, then I think, as we've, we've said already, bleeds over into our everyday relationships, is this culture of tribalism. I'm associated with a group of people who think like me and react like me, and at all costs, I will defend my tribe, and I'm closed to the thinking of other tribes. That is so incredibly different than the way the the Bible, the gospel would have us think about who we are. I'm part of two communities. I'm part of the larger human community, for which I should be very, very thankful. And I am part of the more distinct, redemptive community. And both communities are made of people from different ethnicities, different cultures, different ways of thinking. And, and that's why that there is such a powerful call in the New Testament to be committed to unity. Because the differences among us are God's choice. God put me in this community of all kinds of different people thinking all kinds of different different things. That's This is the address where he's chosen me to live. And how am I going to learn? How am I going to grow if I just exist in this silo of one tribe? Well, this culture of reactivity, what it does is because it's a dangerous culture, people are taking shots, I tend to run to my tribe. I tend to run to the people. I find comfort in the people that I agree with. But because we're now have this tribal commitment, we tend to be reactive toward people who are different than us. And so reactivity stimulates tribalism. Tribalism stimulates reactivity. And that cycle just increases and grows. You know, there's a, there's a reason why these terms are afloat among us, uh, groupthink, echo chamber, because that's what's happening. I, in tribalism, I don't get my thinking challenged. I just get reinforcement because the people I'm with, I'm with because they're saying the same things I say. In fact, at times they're saying them in the same way that I say them. That's not a recipe for growth. That's not a recipe for challenge. That's not a recipe for personal reflection. That's not a recipe for confessing that I was wrong. It's just a recipe of the hardening of opinion and the hardening of confidence in perspective. Tribal community is unhealthy because it's not a community of challenge where 
there's rebuke and confrontation. And because of that, there's personal growth. As we should confess, we all need, it's that culture of reinforcement and then greater confidence, greater pride, in my opinion. Versus what God has designed for us is that I'm, I'm in, by his plan, I'm in relationship in the church with people who are different than me. People who may have nuances of theology that are different than me. And that's his plan. That causes me to think more fully and think more deeply and think more humbly and be open to, to conversations that, that challenge my assumptions and drive me into scripture in a, in a deeper way to, to learn more fully. So I have to deal with those differences with appreciation and grace. I'm thankful for those differences and the way they drive me to love God's word more, to love my Savior more, to understand more about what he's done for me, and to be committed more to this kind of community of ongoing mutual ministry and transformation. Well, I don't know about you, but to be part of a tribe is easier for me. I love to be agreed with. I love not to be challenged. The people around me agree with me and reinforce what I say. It is much harder to live in the openness and dependency and humility of gospel community. I will be confronted. I will need to admit that what I thought was so right maybe wasn't as right as I thought it was. I would I will have to be patiently open to the insights of others. Uh, I've said this before, that, that between the already and the not yet, this Christian life is one unending conversation because God's truth is that important. People's lives are that important. And that can be a bit exhausting and hard. Every one of the commands of our Lord to us Every, every one of those commands is accompanied by his grace. What is the hard way is the best way, and God meets us by his grace. I really think that one of the ways that God works in addressing our tribalism is through the ministry of other people. And I think it's very, very important to not live only with your view of yourself and your view of how you're relating on social media and relating to others, how about opening yourself up to the watchful eyes of other people? Hebrews talks about exhorting one another daily, lest anybody be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I need eyes on me, eyes that I wouldn't have on myself. And I think this is absolutely true, that personal, spiritual insight that gets at the kind of stuff we have been talking about in these podcasts, personal, spiritual insight is the result of community. It's hard to get there by yourself. Well, I want to ask you a question that you probably never ask yourself, but I think it's, it's practical and important. Do you get your sense of identity your sense of meaning and purpose and motivation from your tribe, that group of people that agrees with you? Or did you, do you get your sense of identity and meaning and purpose 
from your Lord, from your relationship to him, from being his child. There's a, there's a huge difference because if I get my identity vertically, then I don't need everything I say to be affirmed. I don't need everybody to agree with me. I can be comfortable with difference because that person who's different from me isn't where I'm looking for identity. Well, I have a confession to make, and it's in the last several years, few things have reminded me of my need for God's grace, my interaction with social media. Here's the confession. I get riled up. I get angry. I want to strike back. I want to defend my reputation. It hurts when someone says something disrespectful to me. It hurts when I'm canceled for no reason. And it's reminded me that I need the restraining power of God's grace in my life every single moment of my life. And I'm thankful that through this crazy culture that we've been talking about, God has produced in me a deeper love for, a deeper hunger for, a deeper celebration for his grace. So we wouldn't be having this conversation about the culture of toxic reactivity and its power to not only shape our reactions and interactions on social media, but in our everyday lives, if there wasn't something attractive to us about this culture. And what you have to confess, and this is hard, it's only ever the sin inside of me that hooks me to the evil outside of me. And so I have to understand that my attraction to this toxic culture is because there's something still broken inside of me. Something loves anger, loves meeting out vengeance, loves self-righteous condemnation. Those instincts are still inside of me. I'm not free of them yet. By God's grace, I will be someday. But the war for my heart still continues, and it does for yours too. And so we need that rescuing grace. You know, I, I think one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel is that between the already of my conversion and the not yet of my home going, God doesn't give me just a list of directives. He, his greatest gift is himself. This is one place where the giver is the gift. And so God says, Paul, I know what I've called you to. There's no way you're going to be able to do it unless I am with you always. And the way that I'm going to be with you always is I'm going to make you the place where I dwell. So there's never a moment in your life, Paul, where you're left just to your own wisdom your own strength, your own righteousness, because I am in you. Like what the Apostle Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. That's just incredible to think about. And so we have help to stand against this culture. We're not left with just these impossible commands 
and the compelling temptation around us because God has inhabited us by his grace and he comes with the full range of his power. The culture of toxic reactivity is in ways a culture without redemption. You blow it, you're done. It's a culture of condemnation. Grace sets a culture of redemption. The belief that there's no sin that lives outside of the reach of God's grace. There's no person so lost that they're outside of the reach of God's grace. So to respond with grace means I want to be a tool of help in God's hands. I want to be a tool of correction where correction is needed, a tool of encouragement where encouragement is needed, a tool of hope where hope is needed, an instrument of transformation. Now, that requires patience, listening well, kindness, gentleness, respect. Those are attitudes and actions of grace. They are a definition of grace themselves, and they only they only possible through the power that God's grace gives us. Well, I want to thank you for traveling this journey with us. Our look at the culture of toxic reactivity isn't meant to leave you negative and hopeless because we've also talked about the beauty of God's grace, that God doesn't leave us on our own. And in Christ, we have the potential, you have the potential to do better. Jesus died so that I would be a person of joy. I would be a person of love. I'd be a person of kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are our potential in Christ. And he lived a righteous life and died a substitutionary death and rose again conquering sin and death so that we would have that potential. And he gifted us with his spirit. So we would have the power to say no and to move in an entirely different direction. You can do that because of his grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that your word looks at the dust and dirt and blood of a fallen world, but never leaves us helpless, never leaves us hopeless, but infuses us with hope and with joy because you have invaded this world by your grace. And you empower us by your grace to live in a way better way than we would ever live on our own. A way that doesn't not bring divisiveness and destruction and death, but brings unity and help and life. Thank you. Thank you that you have given us the gift of yourself. We love you. We are so thankful that we've been loved by you. In your sweet and strong name we pray.